Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people in the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We've got a great guest. But first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. International Coffee Farms grows and sells specialty coffee in Boquete, Panama. They now have 11 fully operational coffee farms and they are 100% sold out. They are accepting reservations for farm number 12. The idea of owning a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you. Check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back. Here on the Weekend Edition, we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the show, Quentin D'Souza. Hey, Victor. How are you doing? Great to have you here. Quentin, we've got to know each other over the last little bit, and you run a real estate investment group in the Toronto area. You're also a very active investor. And rather than focusing on everything that you do, let's focus on just one element. But before we do, maybe give us a little bit of background how you got into this crazy world of real estate investing. Well, it started with uh, one property and then it became an addiction back in 2008 and I kept uh, adding uh, um, four or five properties every year and it just kept growing from there. It's been, uh, you know, different strategies as we've gone along, but really focused on the buy, fix, refinance and rent strategy. One of the areas you specialize in is secondary dwelling units, what's sometimes called accessory dwelling units or secondary dwellings. Maybe give us a little background why that works in particular in such a high price market like Toronto. Yeah, it works really well because basically you're taking a property and you're changing its use. You're bringing it to its highest and best use. And that way you can maximize the amount of uh, money that you can get from a particular asset. So um, we'll take a property that let's say is um, 450000 and earning 1500 in rent to worth 600000 and earning 3100 in rent. So uh, by adding uh, some value, we're able to really um, you know, build uh, uh, an asset that can continue to pay us and is a, is a good cash flowing asset for us to add to the portfolio rather than a cash flow negative uh, asset. One of the things that's a nuance that not a lot of people are aware of is the difference between a legal secondary unit and an illegal secondary unit. What's been your experience there? Having a legal secondary suite can add uh, value to a property upwards of $25,000 I found compared to an illegal. The other thing too is that um, the municipality can come in and shut down an illegal suite and um, that can really hamper your ROI if you're expecting to get 3100 in rent and all of a sudden you're down to 1600 The other thing too is that, um, you know, from an insurance perspective, it makes sense to have something that's legal versus illegal. And there are certain criteria that you go through to legalize uh, a suite, um, such as uh, fire separation, sound separation, and uh, typically we want to minimize tenant collisions. So areas in a property where you have tenants that are in the same area at the same time. So you don't want to have driveways where you have to talk to the upstairs tenant in order to move a car. You want to minimize those tenant collisions. The same with areas where you have a washer and dryer. You put separate washer and dryers, you get additional rent, but you're also avoiding those those tenant collisions, those times when tenants are interacting with each other. And it really gives them the feeling of being uh, in separate houses or separate units rather than being in a combined unit. And that just makes the property more rentable. 
One of the common complaints that I hear is about cooking smells. If the property has a common heating system, you have air exchange between the two units, someone cooking something that's particularly savory in one apartment all of a sudden is infiltrating the second apartment. What do you do about that? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, mostly that's a tenant management type of situation. Talking about the expectations between the tenants, what they're doing and what... um, uh, and when they're doing it. So it's, it's managing those, those tenant interactions again. I mean, there's also other ways that you can affect it. Maybe you could look at charcoal filters in the, uh, the furnace units or other things like that, fans, you know, different ways that you can try to accommodate for that. Do you ever separate the heating system so that they don't interact at all together? We do, but not all the time. Depending on when you're doing the um, the secondary suite conversions, some municipalities will mandate that you have two furnaces. And when they do that, then you obviously you're not getting that. But it's also from a, a cost perspective. That problem doesn't come up as, as often as, as as you would think. So um, it's really just mitigating the, the issues when it does come up. It, it's looking at what really makes sense and what to, to actually spend the dollars on when it comes to those conversions versions. Now you're one of these folks that is a real estate investor and you also run a real estate investment club. Tell me who are the types of folks that attend your investment meetup? Are these rookies? Are they more experienced investors? Give us a little bit of a sense for the type of events that you run. Yeah, it's really, it runs the gambit. We have uh, some people who have um, one property or two properties, and we have other people that have 60 or 100 properties. So it it just runs the gambit. It just depends on the the type of uh, people that come the the evening. But, you know, we we try to accommodate everybody, and it's really about uh, helping each other grow, networking, and, uh, and learning from each other. Um, you know, we, we really don't have like um, uh, pitches per se or anything like that. It's really just a, a group that started with four people at a Tim Hortons. And, and now we get between 120 and 150 people come to every meeting. One of the recent changes in, in Ontario is this idea of what's called a carriage home, where you can have a secondary suite that's not part of the main building. It's a separate building, but gets its utilities from the main house. It can't have its own separate utilities. They have to feed off the main house. What's been your experience with that, if any? Well, there are more um, more people who are looking at, and we have um, one person in, in the Durham area that uh, has a, a tiny house. And basically what he's done is he's put a, a, like a coach house at the back of the house, carriage house, as you're, as you're suggesting. And he's uh, severed the lot in order to sell that little, I think it's like a, a 300 square foot house where, where he's done that. I'll have another uh, person out in Midland who's doing something similar. I think that, I mean, it, it's growing, but uh, again, it's always the cost to be able to develop and do that, whether it makes sense or not. Um, sometimes I think that um, it makes more sense to allow people to have um, a uh, different types of parking situations in a unit rather than to have a coach house. So if, uh, if the municipality really wanted to have more units, um, especially in a time where of Uber and you know multiple modes of transportation where people may not, especially in the city center, have a parking spot, um, eliminate the need for that and be able to still add uh, accessory apartments. Parking is usually the, the main problem. But um, with regards to the coach houses, yes, we're definitely seeing more of it, but just not as much as the actual accessory apartments. One of the strategies that we often hear about is people buying a legal duplex, that is a side-by-side duplex, severing them into separate properties, and then building secondary units in those. You're taking two units, turning them into four. Has that been a 
mainstay of your strategy or something that you've even looked at? I've met many investors that have done that, especially out in St. Catharines and um, uh, where they're, they're doing something like that. And I, I think that there's a, definitely some value in that. It's like creating a four-unit property, but really you're, you're doing it from a semi-detached. Your fees are really based on the two units. So again, it's, it's just something that I've seen out there. And I really focus on taking existing properties and renovating them. You know, we've done I've probably renovated 60 plus, you know, properties in different stages uh, for different, either flipping them or for doing the duplex conversion or holding them as a, as a buy and hold. So rather than the development side of things, I'm really focused on the, you know, taking existing units or existing properties and redeveloping them. The Toronto market continues to add about 80,000 new residents a year. It's no secret that prices have gone up tremendously. A lot of people have just made money in their sleep, literally, just with the passage of time as the market's gone up 15, 16, 18% in a year sometimes. How much of that is a factor in your underwriting? Uh, yes, definitely um, thinking about what the future potential is for the market and, and what's um, what's going on. I mean, the only time that we purchase properties and hold them is for cash flow. So uh, we're not purchasing properties based on appreciation or Purchasing, purchasing them based on cash flow. And what we're doing is we're stress testing them against 10-year rates in order to test to see if they can still continue to cash flow. Uh, we look at the potential for rent and what the rent is now, and we ensure that we're able to continue to have our portfolio and hold it through any uh, downturns. Honestly, appreciation is just like um, a side benefit. Um, and it, it's a beautiful side benefit sometimes, but we don't count on it in order to continue to hold the properties. There's a lot of wisdom in that because it's something you don't control and you're placing your focus on the forced appreciation, the part where you control, where you're adding value as opposed to just relying on the rising tide to lift all boats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's something that has worked uh, consistently in the past, and you know, you know, adding the adding value to properties is really, um, you know, you're looking at a property, buying it with equity in it. You know, you see it um, because the amount of renovations that you can do to the property, you know, you still have a spread at the after repair value. So, um, and that's you know, typically how we do every project. Folks want to get in touch. What's the best way? Um, easiest way is going to durhamrei.com. So that's Durham, D-U-R-H-A-M-R-E-I.com. Thank you to Quentin for sharing his wisdom. And for the listeners at home, definitely check out Quentin at Durham, R-E-I. That's D-U-R-H-A-M-R-E-I.com. Have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>